Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we love to shine a light on the stories of women whose uh, stories are moving, they're, they're meaningful, they're compelling, they drive us to be our highest and best, and when we shine a light on them, that gives us permission to shine and be our highest and best selves as well. I'm super excited today to have uh, she's not a close friend, but we are in a, a, a women's worldwide group together, and she is incredible. Um, I recognize genius, brilliance, kindness, compassion uh, when I see it, and so I want to welcome her to you, uh, to the audience today, Dr. Rachel Headley. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, you and your partner are so awesome. Um, they have a great business together. We'll hear from um, your partner at another on another podcast someday, but this podcast is all about you. We want to get to know you very well, as much as we can, and uh, in an authentic manner. So I always ask my guests, just be casual, be, be comfortable. It's conversational. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, man, uh, where to start? Um, well, basically, I grew up on a, a small farm, the old school way, where we had a big garden and some cows and pigs and we uh, and then about my, my mother though was from Sacramento and all of you know that parents have huge influence over us and so my dad grew up on this small farm in South Dakota my mom grew up in this big city of Sacramento where she took the city bus to school and she was a minority in her as a white girl in her school district so totally different growing up experience and so when I turned nine, uh, we moved to California. And so I have this really interesting background that sort of bridges the small town rural America experience with the sort of bigger city uh, diversity, busyness, intensity that comes along with cities. And that's probably what set me off on the path that I'm on today. So it's a way, way to start anyway. That's a great segue. My question was going to be, well, how has that impacted who you are today? So let's just talk right. about that. Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing is between fourth and eighth grade, I went to six schools. And because we, oh, wow. you know, we moved out there and then my dad got a job in another town and that we moved there and then they moved him. And so between all those things, um, I went to, yeah, six schools in four years. And you know, pretty formative years, middle school, you know, terrifying time for most of us. And, um, but you know what really helped, and it was pretty sad sometimes because I was always the new kid, but really at the end of the day, it really made the family tighter. I have three siblings, an older brother, two younger sisters, and that we were kind of always in it together and we were kind of a built-in support structure. And it also gave me a really good radar for people who are being inauthentic because you know, when you're the new kid and you have people telling you things and trying to pick on you or be nice to you and all the range of things, you really start figuring out people pretty quickly and seeing their true intent. And so I, that's probably the best gift besides the family piece that I, I got as far as the skills go. That's awesome. So, so you think you can read people pretty well and you get to know, you know, people at first blush? Well, there, yes, uh, there are people that can still uh, trick me, of course, uh, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that also really uh, allows me to do or that gives me a perspective is I'm always looking for the person in the room that feels left out, that feels alone, that maybe doesn't know anyone. And so I'm always kind of looking for that person because I was that person when I was young. And so I think that's been a real difference uh, for me is being in that situation where I think a lot of people that have, stay in the same environment with the same friends, they don't necessarily ever have that experience. Yeah. Or not certainly as viscerally as I did. So I think that's been a real blessing in my that life. That is so amazing. And I think that's so beautiful that you do that because it's a living hell for those people who are you know, uh, they have to go to an event or they're at an event and they don't know anyone or they're, you know, scared to speak up, the, you know, extreme introverts. Um, they're not shy. They're not snobby. They're selective, but sometimes they're just, you know, paralyzed with, I don't know anyone here. And that's so nice that you reach out and make yourself available. Um, well, sometimes it backfires on me because I end up speaking with someone that I don't have anything in common with. But at the same time, I really believe that every single person. I love your, the premise of your show because I believe too that everybody has a story. Everybody has something I can learn from. Yeah. An experience, a perspective, a, a job they've had or 
or just, yeah, lots of life that I haven't had to lead. So I really always love meeting people too. So. So first of all, I think that's really courageous of you. Secondly, it's funny that you say um, sometimes it's back, it backfires because you don't have anything in common with that person. I love that. I actually, in 2020, my dictate to myself and my own small business is to um, advise, refer, or hire, or in some way help someone that I don't even know that's not in my circle, that's not, you know, to combat affinity bias because, you know, it's natural to, to, to pull from the pool of people you know, like, and trust already and do business for them or refer them. But I love that you're risking it and meeting people you don't know and helping them. And even if it backfires, you know, there's something to be said for that courage. Yeah, well, it's also a gift to me, too. It's not all altruistic, although um, I do look out for that. Because also, a lot of times, I'm uncomfortable, or I might be in a place where I don't know everybody. And to your point, it's easy to go talk to the three people I know. But the yeah. point of going to those events is to broaden my network. And so it's also a gift to me because then I have an opportunity and a reason to go to approach them and say, hey, um, do you know anybody here? I'd love to chat with you. And that's a, you know, so it's really a gift to me as well as to them. And, and it's, uh, it, it does help com combat that affinity bias that you mentioned. Yeah. Let me ask you, what's your go, do you have a go-to? What's your go-to you know, question or, you know, for me, when I'm networking, I have a tendency to ask a similar, you know, the same or similar questions that, you know, mm -hmm. with each person at each event. Um, or is it specific to that, you know, event or, you know, cause that you might be supporting or what have you? What is your go-to line when you meet someone new, if you have one? Yeah. I mean, most of the things I go to are business related. So, I just, it's kind of standard stuff. I just ask, hey, what do you do? What, who do you work for? Um, what do you do for them? Because a lot of times, you know, someone will give you your, their job title. Yeah. But that doesn't really tell you what, who they are and what they're excited about. So sometimes if the conversation kind of stalls out around kind of the basics, what I ask a lot is, you know, what's the next exciting thing that you're going to do? Or what are you thinking about this year that excites you? Because a lot of times, the, those things are things that people are kind of working in their head about and they're always excited to talk about. Yeah. They don't necessarily reflect in their sort of job or their day in day out stuff. So then that's always a fun question because then they're excited and passionate about whatever it is and it kind of gets their uh, enthusiasm up. I love that. I love that. So often people default to the, I'm the VP of blah, 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 at such and such a company. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. That's what you do. That's not who you are. So I love that you're tapping into their personal and professional passion with that, with that word of, you know, what's your next big thing or what excites you about what you're doing next. That's a really great uh, conversation starter. And it, it is respectful of the other person, giving them room to really, you know, shine like I like to do here. So I love that. That's awesome. I hope everyone listening will take note. That's a great question. Uh, what's your next big, big thing? What drives you? What's your passion? Awesome. I, I should ask you that question. What's your next big thing? What drives you? What's your passion, Rachel? Oh, there's so, well, a lot of what, what I do, what I'm passionate about is our work because I, I'm one of the lucky ones that does, that I get to help people from my job. And probably the most exciting thing we have going on as we've got a, um, to not talk too much business, but it is the most exciting thing. Is, sure, go ahead, uh, go ahead. We've got a, so we're basically a consultancy that supports companies in, around people. And we have a framework and a system like a lot of companies, but we actually have a technology platform that we're launching in a couple weeks. And that is by far, I'm a science and engineering nerd. Uh, I came up through aerospace. And so I'm super geeked about having an actually technology tool to be able to use. So that's my, that's my new exciting thing. Well, I love it. So it, on this podcast, look, I feel like you're personally aligned inextricably with your brand and with what you do. So feel free to talk about your company, what you do, what your next big thing is. Don't, don't worry about that. Most of the time, when I interview women on this podcast, I want to make sure we talk about them, but you own and operate your own company. So I think that you are your brand. So tell me about your company name, what you do there and why and how would, what would excite listeners about what you do? Well, our company is called Rose Group International and it's, we're a 
really at the moment, we have all women um, executives and staff and our affiliates are actually, I think all women at the moment too, which is super cool. Uh, but what we do is we help companies in transition around people, because as you know, chaos around change, uh, some of us really love it, but it really paralyzes some people. And that can have a detrimental impact both on their personal, uh, personally and on their professional performance, which impacts the companies and sure. their family lives and the community. And so we have a system that we go in and we can assess sort of a company's tolerance for chaos around change and transition. And then we help them strategize about how they can actually support their people um, in a way that helps them thrive through even the most stressful time. So it's really just a hoot. It's so much fun. And it uh, really sounds fun. amazing. Uh, I wish I, uh, you know, like I, I personally have, have needed that not, <laughs> <laughs> many times in right? my career. Um, right? A lot of us who are entrepreneurs have needed that help. Um, oh, you know, yeah. change, I, I guess I might say it sounds a lot like you're, you, you, you are, you know, uh, very well versed in, um, internal communications and, you know, change management and organizational, you know, structures and, um, you know, HR issues, you know, a lot, whatever, whatever, you know, is up in the air at this particular company or even industry-wide, would you say, do you help various companies in the same industry? Do, you know, are you focused on a particular industry or does that not matter? Well, for us, we always kind of joke that any company with people, uh, <laughs> right. So, um, uh, my co-founder Meg, who you mentioned at the top of the show, yeah. he came up through HR and org development and uh, yeah. mining. Mining was her industry and you'll hear more from her another day. But for me, I came up through aerospace and, um, and so we kind of joke that we go from underground to outer space, right? Um, oh, I love that. That's our, awesome. line, it's our, it's our informal tagline. And, um, I love it. Yeah, but we really, yeah, it's, it's about the structure a little bit, like that change management or org chart kind of HR stuff. But it really what always happens is that no matter how, what, what kind of great framework you put around whatever transition and change management process you have, the humans involved have to be able to uh, sort of buy in and own and understand what's going on. And that's the piece that really gets missed a lot. We kind of just assume everyone will get on board. And if they don't, they're going to be miserable and they might leave, but oh, well, we'll just put our head down and gut it out. And whoever's left at the end is who we have. And what we try to do is say, you know what, you have these kinds of people They're, you know, they don't like change and they love social networks. And so how do you move those people along together so that they actually thrive and become better employees instead of just sort of suffering? And so it's really about the human side of those changes and those structures. I love it. I love it. So I see that you, you probably listen with empathy and not judgment. Mm -hmm. yeah, these people are scared. Yeah, it's tough. They are. It, it is a visceral scared reaction. I mean, we all have that reaction around change a little bit, but you know, those of us who are entrepreneurial love that chaos, love new ideas and new vision and new direction and pivoting and we kind of thrive in that world it's really hard for us we know that some people don't like change but i think often we don't understand the degree to which it's hard for people and that's kind of the piece we do we we, we sort of bridge the gap between the people that are the change makers and leaning into the change and the people that really they're not resisting change because they're jerks or they no. they're, they're not smart it's like they just don't know how to get there. And so we help people figure out how to get your people there. That's a great way to put it. So I kind of understood a little bit about you before because I've known you and Meg and I've looked mm -hmm. you up and checked you out. But I think for the listeners, uh, what I take away from this and correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel, um, they sort of pave the way and hold the hand through change and help those, like she said, they're not being jerks. They're just fearful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they know what they know and they might be a little risk averse because what they've known is what's worked for them, you mm -hmm. know? So, um, that's amazing. And I think, you know, I bet with the dawn of AI, um, a lot of people fear all kinds of change, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, great that you work with companies, um, who deal with people 
there will be, it's my understanding, um, if your job is dull, dangerous, or dirty, AI, AI will come for that. But the rest of us, you know, it's, it's all about people business. You know, it's all about human relationships. It's all about internal relationships that go, you know, east to west and north to south. So it's awesome to have folks like you holding hands through all the change that, that is happening today, especially. Um, yeah, the technology changes. Um, I think a lot of it's oversold. Um, you're right. AI is going to come in and really help improve some places, make things more efficient, maybe take away those routine jobs a little bit. But on the other hand, um, coming up through aerospace, we, I was, when I started that job, I did, I was doing image analysis, which means you look at images from with your with a human eye and you evaluate what's going on on the landscape so you can understand things like how the cropping patterns are changing or how many trees are being cut down or regrowing and and everyone it was so funny because when i first started i worked with a, a professor and he said well can't i just push a button that tells me what are all the forests in this image and then it just magically does it because that's kind of the ai solution and there is always a need for humans to be involved because of course there's bias, there's all of the behind the AI is an algorithm. And so if you get that algorithm a little bit off, then you're gonna have bad results. And so um, I think there will be more humans. I think there will continue to be uh, lots of human relationships at the core of who we are and what we do every day. But I love that conversation because I, I do think AI is very exciting. And I'm excited to see how far they can go with it. But so sort of I, like I, love, I, I love that you said that because I don't want to scare people, but I, I I'll say that with the change, there'll be new opportunities in those mm -hmm. same industries to work with the technology, work with the equipment, work with the, you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. let's say you're a crane operator. If, if that crane becomes operated by AI or, you know, the dangerous job, um, there's going to be someone who has to work the crane, you know, the, the you know, be fix things. And so the, it will create other new jobs that'll pop up in other areas. It's just, uh, so I love your, your example about your professor thinking you could just push a button. Um, yeah. because that's what people think. I, I don't think that's how it works, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's kind of how they want to sell it, right? Yeah. They want to sell it like that, so then it's harder. <laughs> I certainly would never want to insult your professor. Um, and I'm no PhD, but um, I read a lot about this and I'm very interested in this. And, and the work that my husband does involves a lot of this. So we talk about this. We're, we geek out. This is, you know, when we, right? yeah, date night. Hey, let's, you know, read these dorky magazines that no one else, you know, we, <laughs> say, we actually save them on our bookshelf. We're like, oh, we'll get to this. <laughs> we'll get to this someday. Someday, so, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I love that example because people are afraid and you are there to help, you know, first start with the facts. Here's what's mm -hmm. actually going to happen. Um, two, here's how it likely will impact people. And three, we got you, you know, we got you. That's my understanding. Am I right on or no? Yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it because a lot of times, the, the challenge of course for us, for people like you and I is that we love we, we just figure, we'll figure it out as we go, right? Like, we're going to do this thing. Yeah, no. you know, in six months, who knows what we'll be doing exactly, but we'll be doing the thing that needs doing, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a, of, there's a lot of people that they need to understand much more rigor and much more planning and much more understanding about how it's going to affect them to what you just mentioned. And that's the piece that you and I are like, meh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Got this, yeah. I used yeah, to have a boss in, in financial services when I worked in Boston and he would tell me um, if the client is asking you about the minutia, the steps, the process, then you mm -hmm. haven't delivered the value proposition in such a way that they trust the outcome. So if you understand the client's need and you, you share that you can solve a problem or better yet prevent a problem in such a strong message, they won't ask you about every little step of the way. Now that's what he told me and he was in financial mm -hmm. services. 
Then I spent the next 18 years, I worked with lawyers and found out he lied. (laughs) I was just going to say, that is really not true. So I love that you figured that out too, just through work with people. Yeah, they want to know every little thing. And it's irrelevant because it's not the work that they do. It's my expertise, not theirs, you know, so I get it. I get it. You're so right because, but that's the trap we fall into is we're like, we just, we just, they just don't trust us enough. Well, that's not <laughs> it at all. They, uh, they want, it's just a gift to them to give them peace of mind. And we right. don't, we don't need that for our peace of mind, but they, many people, especially lawyers are very, or what we call order tolerant and they need to understand those things or else they won't even engage with whatever it is. And so exactly. they're very exactly. smart it has nothing to do with how smart you are or how hard you work or what, how much education you have. It's all really about how you're wired internally. Right. Right. And as you might imagine, lawyers and people who deal with numbers, uh, you know, and maybe engineers, uh, CPAs, they're not uh, just going to trust they want to verify, you know, they oh, want right. to, you know, they want to see the data, show yeah. me the data. I'm yeah. like, trust me. They're like, I like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, The worst thing we always say, the worst thing you can say to people that need more information is to say, don't worry about it. <laughs> of course yeah. they're worrying about it. And when you say, don't worry about it, all that tells them is that you don't have the data that they want. Right. Right. You're painting it with a broad brush. Uh, it's almost like telling someone, uh, you know, calm down. Oh, exactly. Right. Like that ever works. <laughs> right. Exactly. 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 Well, I can tell you're super proud of what you do and you should be for sure. Um, what along your journey has been your proudest professional accomplishment or maybe you haven't had it yet. I don't know. Well, there is always more to be experienced, but I think probably my, the favorite thing I've done is I got an opportunity to speak in front of 12,000 people. Wow. Yeah. It was like, uh, there's a company called Esri and it's the world's biggest mapping organization. So it's super, we're getting super nerdy here. I love but, it. Um, I, I, I when I was working for Landsat as the operational science officer, it's a NASA USGS uh, mission. And um, I, there was a 40th anniversary and everybody that was important was in DC for a big party that they were throwing. And then there was this Esri conference and they are a geospatial, uh, the big, world's biggest geospatial company basically. And so they wanted somebody to speak on their big stage. They're the first day, it's sort of like a Steve Jobs, what Steve yeah. Jobs with Apple. Yeah. So 12,000 people, this, this convention center is so big that on stage, I cannot see the edges of the room. It's wow, so a sea uh, of people. Yeah, you can maybe see the little red dot that's the exit signs, but the yeah. other than that, you really can't. You don't have a hard time. Your head's on a big jumbotron. And, um, and I got to do that speech because everyone else was in D.C. for the official thing. And I was the science person. So as a science person, I was going to this um, event across the country in San Diego. And so I got to be on the big stage on the first day, which is kind of their big day. And that, that was awesome. awesome. And that video, just to, since we're nerding out, is actually, I stole it from, because Ezra had it on their webpage for a long time. I stole it and I put it on, I, I shouldn't say stole it. I downloaded it and I put it on my YouTube <laughs> channel. So we can put that link on your show notes and then everyone, it's only eight minutes because it's this huge stage and I got eight minutes, but it was still an awesome eight minutes. You know what? You make a great impact in eight minutes. I mean, like the whole TED Talk theory is 18 or fewer minutes is all you get really to make a a huge impact. So, and you're quite a compelling person. I mean, your background, your experience, but you yourself, your person, the way you talk, the cadence of your speech, your delivery, uh, and I'm sure your content, which I would never understand any of it, but the 1200 people in the room surely did. Um, yeah. Well, it was, awesome. it was fun. It was a good crowd. They did understand. Not everybody though, because I was do, talking about something, but I did try to make it understandable. So I think you'll still get it. And then I guess the other thing, speaking of TEDx, is I did have an opportunity to do a TEDx a couple of years ago. Nice. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that was, you know, in the room in a TEDx, there's 500, a thousand people, something. And so the funny thing is, is I was, you know, kind of in the backstage with the other TEDx speakers and we were kind of talking about 
what a big deal it was. And honestly, it was kind of funny because after giving a talk to 12,000 people, <laughs> which is more people in, in my hometown, yeah. um, you know, 300 or 500, whatever it was, seemed like no big deal. <laughs> yeah, like the, the, the rehearsal, yeah. Yeah, right, <laughs> whatever. That's awesome. It was really funny. It set you. me up, set me um, up for that. Have you ever done the Myers-Briggs personality indicator or personality? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What are you? Do you care if I ask you? No, it's fine. I'm an ENTJ. <laughs> you know, that's pretty rare. So I have no idea. No, I don't okay. really know the system. Well, this is why we connect so well. And you are clearly a thinker. I mean, the T is evident in what you do and, you know, your title and everything. I am an ENFJ. So I'm a feeler. Mm. So this is why we, um, you know, I think we, you know, work well together. This yeah, kind of sure. Shows. I get you, you know, so um, I go, le I lean a little more to the emotive. You lean a little more to the, you know, appeal to the logic and reason and so forth. So awesome. yeah, I'm super nerdy that way for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I can see why you did so well on a stage of 12,000, you know, with 12,000 people or with even oh, 300, you know, whatever the number doesn't the matter. Um, yeah. And I really love it. I think the thing I loved about it the most, and I should say I have other amazing proud moments. Like I got to stand on top of a rocket in the mission launch tower two days before wow. Landsat 8 launched. Yeah. And that was, that was actually super humbling because, you know, there's been thousands and thousands of people because the first Landsat launched in 1972. And for those people old enough to remember, we were working with China before Nixon went to China. So yeah. it was, we were really groundbreaking in a lot of ways and really changed the way science was done at the time. And even we, we are still doing that today. I say we still, I don't, it's been a while since I worked for them, but. It's in your blood. Um, it is. And I'm so proud of it. And I was so humbled to stand there um, knowing that there's been thousands of people over the last 40 some years that have worked and, and died on the sword of yeah. making that, that mission successful. Even today, there's hundreds and hundreds of people that are actively involved in the mission. And the fact that it was me who got to stand up there sort of an accident of fate and um, really, really humbling. And, That's amazing. Um, yeah, that was I actually have chills. I mean, that yeah. is, you know, so wait, let's take a moment to pause so I can count all the podcast guests that I have had who can say the same thing. Okay, done. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, um, there's a funny story that leads up to it that I tell when I give keynotes, especially to young people, um, about saying yes to opportunity is really the is really the take home message. But it was this really funny moment where I was at the Air Force Base uh, in Vandenberg, which is in California, for people yeah. that might be nearby, and um, I was in this huge sort of holding pen where like visiting people got to hang out, and uh, and somebody came in the south door, and I remember that because the sun streamed in and the door kind of banged open very dramatically and somebody ran in and said if we're gonna go we have to go now and I'm like I don't know what the hell this is about <laughs> and I was within a sea of NASA um, communications people and so I I was a USGS employee US Geological Survey so I had no idea who any of these people were I didn't know a soul it was kind of awkward but you know whatever I'm an extrovert it was fine <laughs> and so everyone started grabbing their coats and running out the door and I'm like I don't even know what this is about but I grabbed my coat and ran out the door too yeah. and I'm running out to the parking lot I don't have a car I'd been dropped off I was like asking people if they had room to get in their cars so I ended up in a car with four people I didn't know you know I was <laughs> I was in the back seat with my feet on the hump, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I remember the hump, like, right? <laughs> like meeting days. people, introducing myself. And I didn't even, I was too embarrassed to ask though, what the hell was going on. And so I I love just, it. I'm like, Oh God, we're going to end up. Cause they all have credentials, like yes. new credentials. And I don't have anything like that. Cause I'm a scientist nerd and, but that's okay. I'm like, they're going to end up in some meeting that I don't have access to. I'll have to wait outside, but I thought, whatever. And so we start driving across the massive Air Force Base because, you know, those things can be huge. Yeah. And we start driving into the uh, launch complex three east, which is where our satellite was sitting. And I thought, ooh, this looks promising. And, um, and they hustled us out. And I was the last one because I still didn't know really what we were doing. And they just let, but they let me in through security. And I was the last one on the elevator. And we pushed the button to 15 or 12, I forget now what it is. And the doors open and you can feel, wow. the, you feel the breeze coming in off the ocean and you can smell the ocean. 
And it was so amazing because I stepped out and here was the nose cone basically of the rocket. Oh and we're God. just up there to take selfies with the rocket. That was the whole <laughs> point. And I thought, I would never, if I would have said no, or if I would have been too timid right. to take that opportunity, I would have never had an opportunity to do that. And, and that is so incredible. So it's like right place, right time. And honestly, if you're going to group think and follow the herd, follow the smart herd, the ones with the credentials. <laughs> the one with the press credentials. Exactly. That's what you want to follow. Exactly. Uh, but it's right place, right time, but it's also yeah. willingness to say yes. Yes. Courage again. There you go with your courage. Um, yeah. for well, sure. you don't feel courageous. You don't feel courageous. You feel like a moron at the time. So it's not like I was like, well, I'm going to be brave now and run off. You know, I had no, right. I just felt like a moron, but I knew that there was something cool going on and yeah. I didn't want to miss out on it. So, yeah. well, I'll say that speaks again to, um, you're being risk tolerant. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I think that's the E in you as well. I am that the entrepreneur in us too. We're mm -hmm. like, let's see what happens. You know, um, my husband is a little less like that than I am. And he's like, no, let's, you know, map it out first and do some predictability. And oh know? yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm yeah. like, no, no, you just gotta fly. He's like, yeah, you probably need some wings first. He's the engineer, right? Well, he's a lawyer. He's a, a lawyer. Oh, he's a lawyer. Okay. He's a, yeah, nuclear, that... a nuclear submarine or two. So he, he's a Navy captain. He's all that, you know, oh. that we talked about earlier has to have the process and the, well, he is exactly the guy I want in charge of a nuclear submarine. <laughs> yes. You know? He tells a story about, um, because well, not to slam our elected officials, you know, today or at any time in history, um, but the requirements to be president of the United States are not all that stringent, right? Mm -hmm. sure. um, they're much more yeah, stringent when you're on the other end. Uh, and my husband was the guy that if the president says launch that nuclear missile from the sub, he had to question the president and ask the codes and make sure, you know, before he hit the button. Um, so he has to be very calm, cool, collected. And so I'm very excited. Let's go for it. Let's give it a shot. Yeah, hey, yeah. I'm going to no, jump no offense. no offense, Susan. I don't want you running the nuclear submarine. <laughs> no, but I want to run it, right? Like, right. I, don't wanna, I don't have enough detail, focus on detail to right. have, you know, to check all the boxes that you would want somebody to be checking. Yeah, yeah, nuclear yeah. submarine, you know. I, I've been on one before, and um, they are fascinating. They don't look anything like they did when he was active duty. Um, it, like, we went on, and I'm like, where's the periscope? They don't, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't suppose they need that anymore. Right, right, right. Oh, I love anyway, it. Back to you. You're so yeah. amazing. Uh, oh, you're, first you. of all, I think you're the funniest smart person I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> that is a bit of my, I do surprise people in the sense of, you know, the PhD tends to lean you toward assuming that um, I don't have a lot of in human interaction capability, which is understandable. I know a lot of those people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, no, no, it's, it's great. Interesting, it's interesting to talk about, though, like the Myers-Briggs and how um, that doesn't always encompass some of like the risk taker part of it. Right, right. And so that's kind of, we have, um, we actually developed a little assessment to evaluate that for people. So like when you say, well, you, you know, your Myers-Briggs type, you can have both of us are very similar on the 16. Yeah. Personalities. Personalities. But what we say is, is that it might be though, that we have an ENTJ that's actually more order tolerant. And gotcha. you're still a thinker and you're still a judger and you're still a, you know, an, an extrovert, but I might need more social connection, even as an introvert or extrovert. And so we kind of, and, and what we do is we look at people embedded as a team. So we look at a company more like a system. So instead, yeah. of, instead of looking at trees, we look at the forest. Yes. So to understand how people interact with the team environment and their risk tolerance, is kind of how we, we, we kind of take that self-reflective like Myers-Briggs stuff, yeah. which is very important in a lot of ways, but it doesn't sometimes answer the internal team dynamic pieces. I get that. Yeah. So that's, we've kind of added on to the, all of the research and all of the knowledge that we've gained over the years from things like Myers-Briggs 
and we've said, okay, what's the next step for business? Because business is all about change today and it's all about team. And so how yeah. do we start evaluating that and helping teams as a system instead of individuals? So we love the individual assessments, but we also like to look at everybody as a team, as a group. So it's really yeah. cool that you brought that up. Yeah, don't you think that doing that um, as a whole like creates opportunity for uh, collaboration or uh, creates, you know, or prevents missteps or, you know, I think that as a CEO of a company, I would want that assessment of my team or even um, an assessment to help me create a team. Let's say we're doing something new or I have a new company or I'm merging with another company. I would want you to, to help me out in that you know, mm -hmm. bigger, more holistic picture of my team. Yeah. Um, in fact, yeah, a lot of times what we do is um, that very thing. So um, in a merger or acquisition space or a retiring CEO, or there's an organization we're going to be speaking with here in the next couple of days, they have a new chief medical officer. They have an acting chief finance officer. They're trying to kind of figure out their executive alignment. And of course that trickles down into kind of an unease amongst the staff who yeah. it's a, a healthcare system and so their staff is very much order tolerant they want to be there every day they want to know they have a job they want to just take care of people they don't want to deal with the corporate side of of all right. of the and so the unease at the top of the org chart translates down and so how do we kind of lock up lock in and help that top uh, tier folks get aligned and get on the same page and then understand their people so yeah we do that a lot um in mostly companies that are going through transition. Cause it's like you and I, yeah. like if you're just cruising along, I don't go look for an executive coach. Uh, I, when I, it's when I have a big change or I want to try something new, then I think, Ooh, I might want some advice or guidance. Sure. And so that's, that's kind of the sweet spot for us is that companies that are already dealing with some crazy thing and they need a little more insight from an outside perspective. I would think that's um, very common in this heightened landscape of M and A and uh, you know, when you're struggling to adopt another, so two cultures that maybe don't quite mm -hmm. mesh or, you know, we've got to get rid of one regime. Who are we going to keep from the old regime? How's that going to fly with the new regime? You know, in an M&A, there's always, some, it's never equal. You know, it's when you say, oh, we're joining with this other company, somebody's name's going to come first, you know? Yeah, and that's really tough too, because what happens a lot in M&A is it's really driven. And since you're married to a lawyer, you have a sense of this is really driven by legal considerations and financial considerations. Is this a good merger? Are they good companies? Do they work financially? What's there? And in the HR components tend to be, what are our commitments to the staff? What kind of retirements do they have? What kind of health care? Yeah. But very rarely. And, and then there's an org chart situation where you have this org chart plus that org chart has to equal this org chart right but very rarely do people come in and say this is the kind of people we have and this is the kind of people in this company and he, these are the cultural aspects that are qualitative yeah they are yeah the the thinkers like um you know what you were talking about earlier they're focused only on the quantitative you, you're right. focused on the qualitative and that is a huge so so if you study leadership then you know that the best leaders do have EQ and they are transformational. They're not hierarchical like it used to be. They're not military style. They're not, you know, delegate and go and do. It's everyone has a role to play regardless of your title. Um, you know, that's what a good transformational leader would do. And so I could see that person bringing you in because he or she cares about how this change will impact employees and staff and even even clients and shareholders, you know? Yeah, one of the things that we see and we, we think about a lot and we're, we're not sure we can really say it blanket. Well, we know we can't say anything blanket about humans, let's be honest. But, you know, it seems like a lot of people, a lot of companies that struggle with having engaged employees and employees that feel valued also struggle with customer service, customer experience. Because yes. you're miserable it's very hard to have the client or the customer feel not miserable too. And so it's one of those really interesting things where if you want to develop your CX or your customer service, 
then the first thing you actually need to do is, act, is, is take care of your internal experience of your people. Because if you get that right, then they're going to take care of your customers. I agree. I agree. And I don't think it used to be that way. I don't think there was a lot of consideration of the um, peripheral impact on either not caring about your um, internal clients, your employees, your staff, mm -hmm. or even worse, mistreating them. I mean, how is it you expect someone who answers the phone or greets someone who comes to your company to be part of your sales force in a good way if you're not treating them the way they deserve to be treated? Um, I know I had a client come in once and they saw an attorney mistreat his legal secretary and they took their business to another firm strictly because of that, you know, that behavior. So you have to have happy employees if you're going to, you know, encourage happy clients or have happy clients. So. Yeah. And, and it's tough because in our space, we, I love that you said happy employees because, you know, it doesn't mean that the work is still isn't going to have to get done, right? It doesn't mean that everything's daisies and sunshine yeah. and there's beer in the fridge and there's ping pong <laughs> tables. Hey, we, wait a minute. <laughs> right? People have tried that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, and, and I think a lot of people even today think that, hey, if I pay you well, or even if I pay you decently, then it doesn't matter what else. They, they think people and are that's wrong. It's, you're, you're so right. It's most people, uh, like 80% of CEOs believe that when people leave their organization, it's because of money. But we find that if you read all the literature, it's like 90% of people that leave, it's never about the money. It's never. Right. Which is why if someone, so it's like those commercials that say, if you're not happy with our product or service, send it back and we'll send you another one for free. Well, if right. I wasn't happy with the first one, no matter how much it costs, you know, I, I don't oh, want, I want another one. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, money doesn't motivate me. I know my husband hates to hear me say this, but the message to me means more than the money. Um, but I'll tell you, it's true. I think if you really get down to what's most important to the person sitting across from you, they never say, well, I'm really miserable and I'm unhappy, but if you pay me more money, I'll stay. No, if, you, if you're given the option to all of a sudden be uh, happy and not miserable in your job, even at the current pay or even less, people will say that's what we need. We need, you know, a quality of life component here. Um, yeah, and it's really about uh, feeling valued. Yes. A lot of people doing terrible work that they'd never be happy doing, quote unquote. It's not like they're smiling about it, but they do feel valued and they feel like they're critical to the team. And that's where we kind of land on that team driven. How does the team work in your organization piece? Because there are, to your point, perhaps your husband's one of them. We have a group of people that we call organizers that are really, they are, they can be driven by money. And it's not because they're, you know, crazy money hungry people. It's that they just aren't driven as much by the team part of it. Right. And so for them, it's like, well, I don't, my team is fine, but they don't, if they're crazy people, I can survive on my own because I'm self-driven. And so maybe money is more important to you and that's okay. It's just trying to understand yeah. who you have in your organization because that would be a totally different solution depending so, on the challenges. Yeah. Let's just for the record, um, <laughs> that's not my husband. If so, <laughs> I'd have a much nicer house. Right? <laughs> He does. He does a lot of team dynamics, team training. He does a lot of um, emotional quotient. You know, he, he speaks that. He's a yeah. very transformational leader. But I'll yeah. tell you, that came only after the military career was over because, you know, in the military, you have to be, you know, do as I say, just trust me, do it because I said so. I mean, this is what right. saves lives. But in the world he's in now, uh, he runs a city. So he, he has department heads. Awesome. And he very much cares how happy they are. In fact, he has town hall meetings where everyone who works for the city comes and he says, if you're unhappy with your job, don't quit. Come talk to me. We want to find a place where you'll fit and be happy. Um, which is unique in um, a litigator, a, you know, hard charger, a, uh, you know, that kind of guy. And so, frankly, in city government, let's be honest. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> He's not your typical <laughs> city manager. Sorry, um, Leslie Nopes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or whatever uh, from Parks and Rec. Yeah, no, right, right. he's not your typical bat guy. 
Um, but I will say if he were more about more about the money, I might have a nicer house, but that's okay. (laughs) Those are are things that you don't value, right? If you valued those things, you'd be very different. So that's true. I love what you do. I I, I mean, I, I interview a lot of people. I know a lot of people. My network is global. Um, I think what you do is unique and what you and Meg, the differences in what you bring to the table. I love, love that the ground to the, to outer space, underground, to outer space. That's incredible. <laughs> well, let me ask you um, just on a more micro level, what can women do to help, you know, lift off as if to be corny and oh, like <laughs> what we, can we do to help other women in business? Well, I think the most important thing is that women still face, regardless of how chaos tolerant you may be or not, is we still have a lot of, there's not a lot of examples to follow. Um, No matter how risk uh, tolerant we are, it's much easier to take chances when you see other women doing the thing that you think you might do. Uh, And so it's really important to get out and speak to other women, let them know what uh, po- the possibilities are. And, and if you're a woman who is looking to change or, or yearning to do something new or different, you know, start communicating with people, start reaching out. I, there's, I always tell people that, you know, a genuine reach out to even a cold email is really, I, you know, I can't think of one genuine contact that was curious about what I do or how I work that I wouldn't reply to, or at least have an email exchange. Or if you're around where I am, uh, have a glass of wine or a cup of coffee. And so networking with people who are doing things that interest you and excite you, those are how I really had my most, um, the biggest pivots in my life were, I I went to a place where I met a woman who was inspiring and interesting. And then I leaned on her to help me figure out how I could do it. And and I mean, I went to grad school through connections with people, not because I had some grand desire to get my PhD, but it's that opportunities came up to work with amazing people yeah. doing amazing things. And that's how you do it. It's who you know. It's even if you want to start a company or maybe you want to just go to a different firm or a company, call somebody in that company and say, what is it like to work there? I'm thinking about coming to work there. What, what do you think? Is there an opportunity for me? And people will talk, especially the women I know, would all talk to you about those things and would not support you in those things. I love that. I love that you said that in your last statement, because there's so few women examples out there. And we know why. I mean, muted group theory and all the, you know, white Mm -hmm. males have created all the operating systems. But that's changing as we move up the ladders and um, too slowly, I'll say, but we are. Um, so to have a female role model is amazing and to have a network of women you can reach out to. So I'll, I'll put this out there for the women who might be listening, who live in fear and think that you have to become the men in order to be successful. Please don't do that. You really don't. You can um, stay strong in your own and, and, you know, stay true to your own gifts and shine in your own way and not have to become that which we combat. Um, so that you can be a good example for our younger women and mm-hmm. others who want to do what you've done or like you've done or, you know, get to know and, how you've done it. Yeah, I love that. And there are, there's a, a whole range, right? So yeah. you know, there's people, we were very careful. We have a book and we were very careful on, we're, Meg and I are very masculine. If you study sort of the feminine versus masculine traits and that sort of idea. Same here. Yeah, yeah. we're very, yeah, clearly. I think that's why we have a lot of synergy. <laughs> Is that we're very masculine about how we do things. Um, we're ve- you don't you don't have to be to be a woman. And and when don't what I want to say is when Susan says, "Go be the awesome woman that you are." It doesn't mean that you have to dress in pink and wear you know fancy jewelry and have a lot of makeup on. It's really more about um, if that's who you are, be that person. If you being are, real, yeah, yeah. If you're more masculine, and you can sit at the table and be uh, like our book cover is very masculine and it's intentionally that way because we didn't want people to assume that because we're a couple of women founders that it would be some touchy feely trust fall group hug sort of thing (laughs) 
Not that there's anything wrong with that if that's who you are, but that's not who we are, right? So it's just really important to know that you don't have to fit in any mold, that you have to be the lean into who you are because there'll be other people that resonate with that. Yeah, you have to own your own story, own yourself. And look, for years, I suffered tightrope bias because I was too friendly. I came from the South, you know, and people were like, oh, friendly people can't possibly be competent. And there's mm-hmm. studies that show people think that, even though it's bunk, that's not true. I'm super smart and I'm super friendly. So I course corrected and became much more aggressive and, and I was more comfortable that way. So I feel like actually the Southern stereotype was less comfortable for me, even though I was born and raised down there. When I moved to Boston in what was then a man's world of financial services, I was way more comfortable being who I am truly. And that was a much more aggressive woman. And at the time, aggression was seen as a bad thing. And I'm like, you know what? This guy over here said and did the exact same thing. And you think he's got leadership skills. I do it and you think I'm a bitch. I mean, that's just not, <laughs> that's not okay. So um, no, it's, I still, love- it's, it's still true uh, today. <laughs> that still happens. Yeah. yeah. No, I love what you said, though, the, the um, fall trust group hug. What was that? Yeah. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I love some of that work. Yeah. I really do. Like my, my business coach is... I mean, she self-styles herself as a feminine magician, right? So I really think there is some truth and legitimacy and interesting aspects of life on that side of the spectrum. I agree. And so, but I love that in an intellectual level, but it's not how I work and it's not the clients I work with. And so that's kind of one of those personal versus work things. Right. We can have interest and depth beyond what we do, um, but that's not necessarily what we how we position our company. So you're not attaching a label of right or wrong to it. You're just saying what's right for you versus what's right for someone else. Yeah, I love that. That's all about being embracing your authentic self and sharing that person with the world. And look, one of the things I struggle with still, and not too much. People who know me know that I'll probably roll my eyes and move on. But that whole mantra of other people's opinions of me is none of my business. Really, I can't control other people. Just be my best self and do it. You know, obviously, you don't want to hurt people or hurt yourself. But do the right thing as you, you know, move through life and care less about what other people think of you. Um, I think that's a healthy approach. Just be who you are. Well, let me ask you before we go. I know that you, this is one of the most fascinating interviews I've ever done. It's more like a conversation. <laughs> I can't wait to meet you and Meg in person for sure. Um, if people want to reach you, how can they reach you? Well, we're really busy all over social media, but LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to connect with me. Um, you can always reach out. Um, I'm pretty sure my email and my cell phone are on my LinkedIn account. So always excited to meet people anytime. We have our website is brand new. It's very complicated and full of all kinds of stuff. And so uh, rosegroupintl.com. That's our, our website. If you want to do a little more stalking before you sure. reach out. And, I'm going to stalk yeah. the hell out of you. So, um, <laughs> I'll put all that information in the blog that I write. So for those of you listening, if you didn't get to write it down or, you know, then you can just go to the blog and see it at the bottom. I'll put hot links in there so you can just click to get where you need to be. You are fascinating. Um, Most of the women I have on are, you know, they have a pretty good story and they're pretty fascinating, (laughs) but you are fascinating and you are funny and, you you know, yeah, and I'm not, I'm a, I'm a nice person, but I never lie. So yeah, that's for real. You are. <laughs> I can't wait to chat again. But thank you, so much. <laughs> thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Susan. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a good day.